This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Tonight, President Trump of the United States will issue a televised address or address rather to uh, outline a strategy to declare victory in Afghanistan after 16 years of combat. Uh, also give him a chance to uh, talk about uh, last week, I guess, if he wants to even go there or perhaps hit the reset button. To talk more about all of this, Michael Diamond is with his conservative political pundit and is on the line now. Hello, Michael. How are you today? I am staying inside. <laughs> Number one, it's too hot, and you could go blind. Well, you know, it's like when uh, every time I go to Boston Pizza, I order the lasagna, and they come and they say it's hot. Don't touch the little dish. And I touch the little dish, so I know without certain I will look at it, so I'm staying indoors. Well, it's like they say, don't watch this thing, but then, you know. But you have to. Exactly. What's everybody? It's like, watch it, but don't look. Exactly. It's like watching a horror movie. Stay indoors, people. Exactly. All right. uh, Why the discussion? Why the uh, address to the nation tonight with, with Donald Trump? Why at this point in time? You know, I mean, it uh, doesn't seem to be particularly related to uh, this time just seems to be, I guess it's convenient. He's back from his quote-unquote working vacation and last week was able to meet at, uh, you know, it's funny, uh, this president went from his personal vacation home to the presidential vacation home so he could meet with the national security team to talk about Afghanistan and that formulated much of that discussion as what we'll uh, be hearing tonight, uh, I'm sure. So uh, that, uh, that that is why it's tonight. You know, this is obviously an important matter. Uh, for the American public, and it's one that's going to be very interesting. This is going to be his first uh, major, that I can think of, foreign policy address. It isn't about building a wall, and it's going to be somewhat serious. It should be, hopefully, uh, quite presidential. And with Steve Bannon's departure last week, I think it's going to signal very strongly to the two bases of conservatives, uh, those who oppose interventionist foreign policy, which would definitely be in line with the Bannon wing, and the more neoconservative wing that uh, would be, uh, you'd think of John McCain and Lindsey Graham. And that's really going to determine, I think, uh, how people react to this which which side donald trump falls down on uh would this have been in the planning in the works for a while or is this announced considering uh, the tumultuous week that the pro- uh, president has had Oh, no, I think uh, they're, they're not doing this to respond uh, to that. That uh, uh, would be fair to say his North Korea announcement may have been about uh, some of the uh, show that was going on. But I think this is something you know, they clearly met last week. They've been planning to uh, make this announcement, I think. So considering what has happened over the last week, things with uh, Charlottesville and, and, as you mentioned, just before the uh, weekend, Bannon getting fi- uh, fired or leaving, whatever way you want to slice that, uh, how important is this speech? tonight. It's really critical because one thing we do know is, you know, there was a lot of scuttlebutt that Steve Bannon's uh, on the warpath now, and uh, I think especially for Jared Kushner. And if you look at a lot of the people who are associated with uh, Steve Bannon's brand of conservatism, some people would call them the alt-right, but uh, those who would oppose an interventionist foreign policy, there's Traditionally, and we're seeing this more and more, a a high degree of anti-Semitism in that. So if Donald Trump is to come out and look at an expansion of the mission or anything that doesn't really fit with that view that uh, the Bannon-type conservatives are looking for, I think you're going to see a lot of awful things said about the president's son-in-law and his influence on this decision. So it's a really critical time, and it becomes a lot more complicated because of Bannon's departure. So, what, what is, how is Banning re- uh, reacting, uh, reacting to his departure? Bannon, from, from the, there was the scuttlebutt that now he'll, you know, have a very large perch, one of the most viewed websites and a uh, media source that's uh, really the bread and butter of the uh, Trump base at 30% of its last. So, uh, if Steve Bannon, if he wants, returning to Breitbart, will probably be able to inflict more damage to the president than every other news organization combined, even though, you know, the CNNs and the NBCs and ABC and the New York Times, the failing New York Times, if you will, might have a larger reach than Breitbart. The reach that Breitbart has is with the people who are holding tight in supporting Donald Trump, and he can shake that off, and that would be devastating for this president. So what, uh, what will Bannon say? I mean, what's his attitude at this point? I think, I mean, on uh, on tonight's announcement, we have to wait and see, but I don't think that uh, the Breitbart crowd will look favorably towards any expansion uh, in the mission if, uh, if, uh, if tonight's announcement isn't uh, a plan to get out quickly uh, and hand things over. I, I think they will be disappointed in that and uh, feel betrayed, and uh, we might start seeing that in, in their, their headlines. Uh, considering what happened and the president's flip-flopping response to the whole Charlottesville thing, 
does how how is the ban and firing viewed? I mean, is this a knee jerk reaction? I mean, obviously th- these were in the talks. This was in talks for a while, uh, but the fact that things kind of blew up after uh, the Charlottesville uh, demonstrations, how much did that affect the firing of Bannon? Do you think? You know, I don't think it did. I think that was definitely, as you said, in the works for a while. I think you, you saw if he was fired, you saw John Kelly uh, really uh, taking taking charge of, of the White House staff. And I think he had to get rid of people like that if he was going to run an effective West Wing. So it totally would understand it. If it was that Mr. Bannon had decided on his own to leave, like some of the speculation is, again, that was something that would that would take time. It wouldn't be a uh, decision, a knee-jerk decision like Sean Spicer's, which was in reaction to uh, the hiring of the Mooch. Uh, but, I mean, we, we saw the writing on the wall with, uh, with the president's uh, early defense before the, the, the departure of Anthony Scaramucci that Steve Bannon sort of uh, was an emperor with no clothes. Uh, how did Steve Bannon and Jared Kushner, uh, what was their relationship like? Well, it was reported months ago that Steve Bannon referred to uh, uh, Jared Kushner by a word that I'm not going to use on air, but is often used by the uh, alt-right to uh, uh, belittle someone's conservative credentials. So that, that's the starting point, and there was obviously a, a lack of trust and communication between them. And, and the fact is, you know, Steve Bannon's a uh, actually committed uh, right-wing conservative, and Jared Kushner's a uh, grew up in New York City. He's a Manhattan liberal, so these are people from very different worldviews, and it would be hard to see how they could mesh, especially when they were in a power struggle for uh, the president's year. Uh, So is the main focus of this speech tonight Afghan strategy? It's uh, supposed to be, but one thing we do know with this president is that it's often hard for him to uh, stay on a script or a message. It just will be highly scripted, I'd imagine. And uh, uh, But what we do know is this president has difficulty, and he definitely should address what happened uh, last week. This is a great opportunity for him to do that and try and rectify that uh, some of his uh, mistakes while being scripted. Uh, surprised if he wa- if he doesn't mention any of that. He just gets his point out and moves on. With this guy, you know, you never want to predict too much because it's, it's uh, as he said, he'll be unpredictable. Uh, he, he, he did promise that. So who knows? But, you know, if this was George W. Bush or Bill Clinton or any previous president who followed a more traditional path, absolutely. If there was a major national incident last week uh, and they were tonight giving a national security address to the nation, they would definitely uh, reflect on that incident at the beginning of their uh, speech. Uh I'm thinking that if he if he if he's using this for the for the advantage or for the uh, for the purpose of the public that that he would because if the U.S. president was going on television to talk about things, um, do you think Afghanistan's that pressing an issue right now and, and, and gripping the minds of Americans? I mean, what other things do they want him to hear? Is is this the big issue of the day? Well, or is it to a point you were touching on earlier, is it the fact that it isn't a pressing issue, uh, that uh, that the media and the public are much more interested in other things like Charlottesville, like uh, the, the investigations, like Russian interference, uh, that this is happening at all? Uh, I hope not, but is that, is that something we have to consider? So, will because he's talking about military things in, in Afghanistan, is, will he touch on North, uh, North Korea? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, the the focus is supposed to be uh, 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 Afghanistan. Uh, it sounds like they actually do have a plan to announce, so he should stick to that. And uh, North Korea, I think he he got the mileage he needed out of that comment, and I think he'll leave it for now. Uh, will his speech be positive? Do you think, or do you think it'll be you know doom and gloom kind of stuff again? I think he'll have to, since since he wants to announce what his plan is, we'll definitely have to have a positive element to it, because he'll have to show that there's a hopefulness to what he is proposing. So it should be a positive speech. But uh, again, time and again, we've seen with this guy that you can't really expect him to do what those presidents before him would have done. Uh, when Before Steve Bannon was fired, when he was asked, Donald Trump was asked by reporters about Steve Bannon, 
he he really wasn't asked this question specifically, but when describing Steve Bannon, uh, to one or two of the uh, one of the two or three points that he made was he he said he's not a racist, which is an odd, you know an odd thing to say at that point. Uh, does Trump have to say something tonight that uh, reassures Americans and those around the world, I guess, that there isn't racism in the White House? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he needs to do that as often as as he can, and uh, uh, maybe maybe it's all but direct words as much as as actions. But uh, what we've seen with him is, you know, sometimes this president will come and say the right thing, but it's always after a delay that's too long. But he'll get there eventually. But it takes him too long. That's the problem. And then he'll go a step further, and, and that's really the problem. So if he can contain his message start saying the right thing, maybe people will start buying into it. But he has to focus on, uh, on the positive and not step off and uh, point fingers and blame others. Uh, where are we with the Russian investigation? Uh, this last week, it hasn't come up at all simply because there have been so many other distractions in the White House, whether it's Bannon, whether it's what happened in Charlottesville and his reaction to it. Is this all distraction? Well, and North Korea, because remember, we and uh, North Korea. talking There's about the other, that. Yes. It was the North it was a North Korea comment that uh, might, uh, uh, for, for those who are interested, Wag the Dog in the 90s, excellent movie that might help uh, color uh, some of uh, this uh, uh, for you. And I definitely recommend uh, watching it at any time. It's a great film, but especially now. Um, what is interesting, uh, Roger Stone Jr., the uh, Trump strategist for 20 years, uh, probably the longest time political uh, Aide or advisor to the to to President Trump was set to testify a couple weeks ago, and that was abruptly canceled and not rescheduled yet. So I think they are you know, a bit of a slowdown there, but uh, we'll probably see that pick up again soon. So, what do you think, Michael? We'll be talking about tomorrow after this. I mean, will he get away unscathed? Do you predict a presidential speech or uh, a couple more bullet holes to the foot? I actually think he'll probably outperform uh, expectations because he, he has done a good job of having people underestimate these speeches. So often he'll give them uh, these sort of speeches. State of the Union was a good example. He got pretty good reviews, and it wasn't a spectacular speech by any stretch, but he definitely beat the expectations. I think he'll do that today. Tomorrow's another matter. When he's in Phoenix for another campaign-style rally, that's where he might you know, uh, uh, wash away the goodwill that he could very likely earn tonight. Uh, he seems to have a problem or really become unraveled when he gets asked questions by the press. Uh, will we see less press conferences or will we see him tightening up his skills at a press conference? Because it seems as soon as anybody pulls a thread, he just literally gets so defensive. He, he just He just blows up. He implodes. Well, and it doesn't require a press conference for that to happen. You know, you, you'd have uh, 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 your, your standard-issued politicians. The media definitely can get scaled at getting under their skin, but uh, it, they can limit that uh, the exposure from that by by cramping down on press conferences. With this president, we know Saturday mornings he's going to wake up, he's going to read the failing New York Times, he's going to watch Morning Joe throughout the week, even though he says he's not watching Morning Joe. Yeah. He's going to watch CNN, he's going to watch the Sunday shows, and he's going to respond on Twitter. So they can get under his skin without being in the same room as him, without a press conference, and they still get the same effect. So uh, it's never going to end. So you're expecting a, um, a presidential performance tonight? Uh, for him, yes, he will defy expectations. He's not going to be terrible. He's not going to—he'll he'll be scripted. Uh, the policy matters might rattle some of his base. One side or the other of the Republican Party won't like what he has to say tonight. But I think he'll deliver it in a uh, fine and tasteful manner, which uh, will get him good reviews for tonight. He'll wash that away tomorrow in Phoenix. Uh, um, for a president that talks about fake news as much as he does, he certainly contradicts himself. Will he say something today that he will contradict tomorrow? Well, well, probably, and also he'll say something today that he will contradict something he said in the past, undoubtedly, because one of his big things uh, when he had this beautiful plan during the primaries, he had this beautiful plan to defeat ISIS, but he's not going to tell us what it is. He's not even going to uh, give hints of what it is, because one... His opponents in the race will copy him, and so he can't give away his great, beautiful plan that's going to defeat ISIS. And two, it will tip off the enemy what we're going to do to defeat them. And so by very nature of tonight of talking about the strategy in Afghanistan, uh, he's going against that, that uh, very central advice that he offered during his campaign. 
Michael Diamond has been with us, conservative political pundit. Michael, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. Stay indoors. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Let's bring in Colin Haig. He is the president of the Royal Astronomy Society of Canada. And I understand uh, viewing the eclipse today uh, in Tennessee, which is uh, along the path, uh, sort of the totality path, where people will get the actual best view of this. And Colin Haig is with us now. Hello, Colin. How are you today? Good, Scott. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Where are you now? I'm in a beautiful little uh, airport in Madisonville, Tennessee, uh, which is not too far from Knoxville. And uh, we have uh, the Smoky Mountains in the distance and uh, fairly clear skies with a little bit of puffy cumulus here and there. So looks like it's going to be a great eclipse for us down here. So Hamilton's uh, weather's okay. Yeah, it's not too bad. What's the weather like there? It's uh, oh, probably about 35 Celsius mm-hmm. and uh, very sunny. So you've got perfect conditions to view this today. I'm hoping, yeah. It's a matter of it uh, continuing to be uh, uh, consistent. Uh, sometimes you get thunderstorms in the afternoon down here. And so we need to have it stick out for, uh, you know, three more hours uh, for us to be completely satisfied. But uh, so, how so did, far, so good. So how did you arrive at this location to view this? Well, um, there's a, a couple of uh, scientists that uh, work with the RESC, um, one of which is a meteorologist. So he's a, a really talented weatherman. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other uh, is... Uh, kind of a veteran eclipse chaser. He's been at it for years, uh, used, used to work for NASA, and uh, he basically helped us figure out what the best path was all the way from Oregon uh, in the uh, northwestern U.S. down to South Carolina. And then uh, Jay Anderson, the meteorologist, who's a Canadian from Winnipeg, uh, worked out the uh, uh, sort of the best weather spots, and it looked like Wyoming and Nevada and Oregon were going to be good, as well as a little pocket in Tennessee, where I happen to be today. Are there uh, lots of people where you are today in small town Tennessee that are taking advantage of this the same way you are? Are, are these people, are these towns seeing an uptick in popul- population at all? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, we uh, uh, are near a little place called Sweetwater, Tennessee, and uh, it's a quaint little town with a population somewhere around 5,000 or so. And they're estimating something like 10 times that has descended on them. Uh, and uh, everybody seems to be really well behaved. Uh, the police are out in uh, full force and, uh, you know, traffic is directed and so on. But there are uh, a lot for families to do in the uh, intervening hours. And uh, there's vendors with uh, T-shirts and uh, arts and crafts and all kinds of crazy uh, eclipse uh, so, so they're they're totally taking advantage of this. They're totally making a massive event out of it. Oh, they sure are, and it's it's kind of funny because it's got that whole, uh, you know, American. If we can find a way to make a bucket, this we're going to do it. <laughs> now, uh, I understand you have to be really careful about viewing this when it comes to glasses or anything that you're going to use. Uh, are there lots of people down there selling paraphernalia that you can view this thing with? Well, it looks like most people uh, actually came prepared. Uh, so they either got their eclipse classes from the RASC in Canada or uh, a reputable uh, telescope dealer. Uh, there's also been a, sar- a certain number of counterfeit glasses that may not be safe to use that people bought uh, uh, online from various sources. And uh, we've been helping people sort through some of that. But uh, the good news is... Uh, most people are prepared. Uh, if you're trying to do it at home, I can give you some tips for that. Okay, so uh, how does the amateur look at this and, and not go blind? Well, the, the you know simplest thing is don't actually have a look directly. Yeah. Uh, what you can do instead is find yourself a uh, uh, basically a pinhole camera type setup. And uh, if you go to... Uh, the internet, you can find a link from eclipse2017.org uh, or from the RESC website to show you how to make a pinhole camera. Just uh, 
literally take uh, two sheets of cardboard, poke a hole through a piece of aluminum foil, and uh, use that as if it's a lens, and then it'll project the sun's image down on the ground on the second piece of cardboard. That's cheap and easy. Um, if you are a welder or know someone who is a number 14 welder's glass, uh, uh, it's uh, you know several shades darker than what you'd normally find at your local hardware store. And uh, beyond that, you need to have a proper solar filter uh, or proper eclipse glasses that are ISO certified. So those are those are kind of your options. Will people uh, will will people be hurt viewing this somewhere uh, across North America today? Well, I, you know what? There's always the stories um, of somebody who wasn't careful, um, and the problem is you don't know necessarily that you've got eye damage until the next day mm. uh, because there's no pain sensors uh, in the back of your eye where the retina is. So you end up with kind of a burn mark on the back of your retina in the shape of the, the sun uh, that you were looking at. And, I mean, if you've ever had a quick glance at the sun and then look away, you know you get that yeah. sort of after image and crazy colors. Well, that becomes a dark spot permanently. Mm. And uh, so you literally, if you're looking right at somebody, you'll, you won't see their face. You'll see a dark spot. So it's wow. one of those things, if something happens, get to an expert, you know, at the hospital or an ophthalmologist. But my, my general advice is use eye protection, avoid the problem in the first place. And at the end of the day, with something like a pinhole camera, you're better to project the image onto something as opposed to look right at it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, what does it, here's a question from a listener. What does it, uh, well, first of all, explain what a solar eclipse is. Explain what happens. Well, really simply, um, the moon goes between the earth and the sun as it goes around uh, the earth. You know, it uh, basically comes to a certain point where it's directly in line with us on the ground and the sun up above. So where I am in Tennessee, and uh, I guess about 2.30 this afternoon, the moon is going to completely block the sun. Now, if I was further north or south of that, the moon's only going to block a percentage, maybe, right. you know, 70%, I'm guessing, for Hamilton, based on a prediction I did earlier. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going to look like Pac-Man for you guys up in, up mm. in Hamilton uh, once you project the image. Um, but uh, for us down here, it will completely block it. And the challenge is this doesn't happen very often. The moon moves in a different uh, sort of orbital plane than the sun does so it kind of goes up above and down below and there's a cycle to it and the next one we can predict will be in 2024 and hamilton will actually be a great place for it it will be in the path of totality hmm. or at least the neighborhood outside of hamilton will be for sure so how does it affect life on earth how long are we actually in uh, a total eclipse scenario i understand it's only a couple of minutes um, how does that affect life on Earth? Well, the start to finish time is about three hours when the moon first starts to take a little nibble out of the sun. Uh, at about an hour and a half in, which will be around 2.30, it'll fully cover the sun where I am or, or mostly cover the sun where you are, probably about 70%. And then it slowly continues its, its movement across the sun. Two, during that two and a half minutes that the sun is completely covered it's going to go completely black outside and i'm going to be able to see stars it'll be just like nighttime unfortunately uh the uh you know the effect is is uh subtle it kind of starts like twilight and then it goes very dark and of course your eyes take a little bit to adapt but it goes completely dark so for and two so minutes so oh, for it's time to go to bed. So for two minutes, exactly where you are in Tennessee, it will go dark for two minutes. Yeah, completely black in a, in the total totality path, as we call it, or uh, during the total solar eclipse at the mid eclipse point, it's going to be completely black. The stars will be shining. It'll be just like a dark night with without a moon. And I interrupted you. What what does happen as far as animals? I mean, I'd heard weird things like spiders would deconstruct their webs. I mean, how does this play with nature? Well, I think it does confuse a lot of the animals. Uh, I can't say I've heard the, the spider myth before. Uh, 
but uh, certainly a lot of animals will think it's twilight time, and then they'll start to uh, uh, more or less bed down for the night, or the nocturnal animals will suddenly go, oh, oh it's time to get up and forage for food. Uh, so it can be quite confusing for them. Uh, I've uh, experienced things where the insects and birds stop tweeting. Um, so you, you have a certain amount of, uh, you know, chatter from the animals in the background. And suddenly they'll go totally quiet trying to figure out what just happened. So it's a little spooky, but uh, it's kind of fun too. I wonder how it'll affect the president of the United States. Oh, never mind. That's another question. That's not that's not an astronomy question. Uh, what about temperatures here on Earth, uh, Colin? How will that be affected? Oh, not very much at all. Uh, it's uh, you know it it might cool off uh, a fraction of a degree uh, because uh, we're just blocking sunlight over this very narrow band from from uh, you know Oregon down to South Carolina. And it's only over a given patch for a couple minutes. So it uh, you know, takes that hot sun directly off you, but uh, it really doesn't make that much difference to the air temperature. And, uh, and, and to, your earlier, to your earlier comment about the U.S. president, uh, back in the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, people used to predict great change would happen to kings and queens really? and so on if there was an eclipse. Wow, there yeah, you go. So, who knows? <laughs> so what does this do, uh, a listener asked, what, what does this do to the moon? Does it change things, how does it change things on the moon at all, or does it? No, the moon has no clue it's happened. Uh, it basically just continues to orbit the Earth like it does every day with its normal, you know, sort of tide lock, one face toward us and uh, the other side. You know, uh, is uh, the side we never see. And uh, that side will be getting full sunshine. And the near side won't be getting any except what reflects off the Earth back up to it. So just another day for the moon. What will this look like from space? What will this look like from the space station? What will they see? That's a great question. And my guess on that is what they'll see is sort of an oval shadow on the Earth. Uh, in uh, different parts of the U.S. The space station goes across the Earth, uh, I think, about every 90 minutes. And so it depends on at what point in the, the sky above us they are. But uh, if they happen to pass over uh, America while uh, the eclipse is in progress, they'll see a shadowy spot. So uh, clouds that might be white will look a little darker the ground area might look a little darker. They may be able to take a photo of it. It'd be kind of cool. Would you? Uh, would the shadow appear like a circle? Uh, if they're in the right spot, it would, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's going to be kind of like a, a fuzzy circle. Um, there's kind of the darkest part they call the umbra, and uh, the area around it uh, is sort of uh, uh, not as distinctly black. It's uh, more of a gray area. And they call that the penumbra. So what you basically see is it's almost like a, uh, a target where there's a bullseye and then one ring out of sort of uh, fading uh, light. So it's not, you know, it's not a perfect target symbol or anything, but uh, it's not a, a perfect round dot either. Uh, how often do these happen? Does it happen on a regular basis or is, is, does it alter? Uh, well, it's always predictable. That's the good news. Yeah. So we know when the next ones are. And there's a uh, cycle uh, known as the Theros, S-A-R-O-S, that we use to kind of calculate uh, when the two uh, objects are in the right place so the shadow falls on the Earth. And really, uh, the, the, the good news is uh, the next really great one is going to be in 2024. And it covers part of the U.S., uh, into uh, Ontario, uh, and into Quebec. And so I think uh, Hamilton will see it. Uh, I think Toronto will not. And uh, as a guy who used to live in Hamilton, uh, I feel pretty good about that. Uh, the uh, uh, folks in Montreal, I think, will get a dose of it as well. So is it roughly, can we say it's every seven years? Is it every 10 years? Is it every five to 10 years? Is it that predictable? Uh, well, we, uh, it's not, it doesn't, the math doesn't work quite that way. So, uh, what you have is kind of a, uh, 
a combination of more than one cycle that has to be applied right. against each other to know. So uh, there's actually uh, Sky News Magazine um, has some details on the eclipse, and I think the next issue has a bunch of stuff predicting the next ones and where they are. I think our the next one's in uh, late 2018, and uh, I think there's one down in Antarctica that sounds like a, a great bucket list item for people. Go see a, a, an eclipse from Antarctica. I think that'd be kind of neat. How many of these have you viewed, Colin? You know, I've had terrible luck, Scott. Uh, I have a good friend of mine who's seen, I think, uh, five or six. I've seen several partial eclipses, um, but I've never had the, the good weather and the right place for totality. So this one will be my, my personal first if this weather holds up. Um, but uh, that's not to say I haven't made the effort in the past. Are you 1979 was the last one. Are you surprised uh, the fascination that the public has with these? Are you surprised that people are showing up in these towns and, and having viewing parties? Uh, what's the attraction? Why are people so fascinated by this? Well, it is kind of a mysterious happening. Um, it's something that you, you certainly can, you know, experience only, you know, once or twice in your lifetime. And I think a lot of people are fascinated by that. Um, I also think there's, you know, nothing like a good excuse for a party. And good point. so I've certainly seen that. Uh, there's a uh, local drive-in theater uh, not far from here that uh, is having an eclipse party. Uh, uh, I think starting at 11 o'clock this morning and uh, going till gosh knows when. Um, the streets of Sweetwater are uh, more or less closed down and covered with vendors selling everything from really? T-shirts to... Uh, to uh, hats and jewelry and uh, souvenir things of all sorts. So uh, it's pretty neat. This little airport I'm at uh, uh, in uh, Monroe County has probably over 400 people showed up, uh, and they've run out of places to park the airplanes. So there's a lot of, like, Cessnas and Pipers, like you might see... uh, uh, at a general aviation airport like uh, Stony Creek or York, not far from you, or Brantford for that matter. Mm-hmm. And this airport's probably about the size of the Brantford one, but uh, uh, it's they're running out of space to park the planes. And a lot of people have flown in. They've set up uh, their chairs and tables, maybe a little telescope or a camera with a filter, um, and they're here to kind of enjoy the afternoon. And then after the eclipse is done, they're going to take off and head for home. So it's kind of a neat, uh, <laughs> neat thing to do. What if you are in a plane or or you're flying? Does does it change anything up there? Does it? Are there any precautions? Anything anybody has to do uh, if you're traveling? If you're actually in flight well, at this I, time? Yeah. So uh, really, it's it's kind of the same rules as on the ground. Uh, the uh, advantage of being in the plane is uh, you might be able to get up above some clouds. Uh, and certainly you can fly uh, to where there's a clear spot, so that's, that's an advantage. But uh, you'd have to use the same kind of precautions in terms of eclipse glasses uh, and so on. Uh, some planes uh, are designed so that they have a, a high wing, so you actually won't be able to see the sun because it's up around 60, 60 degrees above the horizon or so. Uh, so they would have to kind of tilt over to see it. Same thing with commercial jets. They would have to put the plane through some turns for anybody to be able to see it. Um, but there's really, you know, there's no extra hazard uh, that there would be compared to uh, just looking at the sun directly, which is never a good idea. Colin Haig has been with us, president of the Royal Astronomy Society of Canada, currently in small town Tennessee uh, and in the path of totality, where uh, Colin and all those surrounding him will be in darkness for a couple of minutes. Colin, thanks very much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Uh, Enjoy the fun. Well, thanks, Scott, and and hopefully I've brought a little light to the subject, and uh, (laughs) the rest of us will be in the dark for two and a half. All right, Colin, thank you very much. Uh, Fascinating. It's amazing that people, A, are so interested in this. Uh, We still have a a love affair with space, that's for sure. 
And uh, it's amazing to me how these little towns, like the one Colin is is in outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, have turned this into uh, into New Year's Eve, so to speak, and are taking full advantage of it from a commercial standpoint. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. We, uh, a while ago, um, I think it was last summer, and I, I was away on holiday, and I uh, came back, and there was uh, an answer, uh, a message on my answering machine um, telling me what to do and that I had got into some sort of problem, and what was required of me was to send money right away. Here was the actual phone message that was, that was left on, uh, on my uh, answering service. While I was away last year, listen up. Hi, this is Officer Ryan Smith from Canada Revenue Agency. The reason for the call is to inform you that you are under federal investigation because of the audit which took place on your tax papers. As you are found suspicious, we need you or your lawyer to call us back on 844-551. 0596. I repeat, 844-551-0596. Don't try to disregard the message, or else it will be taken as an offense from your side. Again, this is Officer Ryan Smith from Revenue Canada. So that was the phone, uh, the message that I received. And uh, we played it on the air and, uh, you know, had some fun. And then, you know, I, I thought I'd, uh, I'd call it. So, Luke, just turn up the phone here. And you know what? I haven't done this for – it's been a while now. And what happened last time, uh, I ended up calling uh, Ryan Smith <laughs> and um, went on for like 20 minutes. Ryan Smith trying to get information out of me. And the sad part was, was this number was up and running for a while. And I must have called it on air like two or three times before they finally realized, hey, there's some bonehead on a radio show that keeps calling us and is exposing all of this stuff. Or maybe they just don't care. So just for fun, let's see what that number is doing now. Got a phone line? Okay, here we go. The number you have yeah. reached is not in service. There you go. So, uh, but we must have called that puppy like three or four times and got some other guy all claiming to be people who they weren't. Uh, and for one show, one call, we had this guy on the line for like 20 minutes. And I just played stupid, and, and which wasn't too hard. And, uh, and basically made this guy sort of run through the steps for me. And when, uh, you know, and I tried to keep it going as long as I could, but because I was asking so many questions, he got suspicious and, uh, and kept putting me on hold and da 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 and then just never came back. <laughs> so uh, we, and we tried calling the number a day or two later and went through the same exercise again. With somebody saying, we need this, we need that, and da-da-da-da-da, you can do this, you can't do that, and basically being quite firm with us. And, uh, and again, two or three times before finally the number has been disconnected, and, you know, they realized uh, what was happening. And, you know, that call actually uh, ended up going viral, and, uh, and I, I guess a few people would, would start calling because we did publicize the number and invite you to call. So, anyway... Uh, that being said, uh, it, it was good fun and, of course, a public service because there's people out there that, unfortunately, still get sucked in uh, time and time again. And here's the other thing, too, is that if you have done this and have fallen for it and have given them information or money or such, you'd think that they just leave you alone. Well, we've got X number of thousand of dollars out of, out of somebody. Uh, we'll move on. And usually the people who are victims of this sort of crime, they're so uh, embarrassed that they don't want to report it. 
So what has happened is people, people who've been hit, who've been victimized, are getting called again. Because the scammer's thinking, well, I got him one time. Probably if I call back, they'll do it again. And that has happened. And we had stories uh, from people who had called in that had given away thousands of dollars because they thought it was a legitimate situation. And it turned out to be nothing more than a scam. All right, so uh, this time of year apparently is bad for this. Uh, And again, uh, more uh, different types of scams are uh, going around. Let's bring in Dana uh, Tommaso, president of Kickpoint, Edmonton-based digital marketing agency, uh, and uh, is with us now. Hello, Dana. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Are you surprised that people still get trapped by these? Because it seems every time a new scam comes on, we talk about it. It's in the news. uh, Everybody knows about it. But there just seems to be no sign of of this stuff stopping. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I think I'm disappointed. <laughs> people keep falling for it, but it's it's yeah, people are just going to keep falling for trustworthy sounding people who call people. That's how it is, I think. And have you heard that if you've been victimized once that they are more apt to call you back or email you or whatever it is that the scam was and try to get you a second time? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I've heard that often it does start through email where you'll get a spam email and if you respond to it, then they start to look into you more, find your phone number. Most of these cases, you'll know, are through landlines, not through cell phones, because you can look up someone's landline number through the white pages, and then they'll have you on a list of easy targets, and you'll get called again and again. Not sure if you uh, heard the the call that we had played, um, which which was a a message left on my answering machine uh, a year or so ago. Um, it, It surprises me how brazen they are. And, you know, it's not call back. Get your lawyer to call back. Um, mm-hmm. what's the, what's your thought on that? I think that they're saying lawyer because most people don't have a lawyer. And by saying lawyer, it's to freak people out. You know, oh, talking about a lawyer, this sounds much more official than the basic CRA. And even the name sounding fake, CRA uses fake names when they call people. They don't use their real identity. So all of that leads to it sounding more legitimate than it actually is. So what are the latest scams that are going around? What should people be aware of? One of the biggest ones going around is uh, the the loved one is in trouble scam. So this is where, you know, your your kids are off on a trip to Europe uh, or your grandkids, and then you'll get a phone call saying your grandkids are in jail. You have to send money to get me out of jail. And it's someone who, you know, sounds like your grandkid, weeping horribly, so you can't quite tell that it's their their voice or not. And they say, you have to send me money right now or I'm going to be in a, you know, in a jail And this happens a lot. And this scam comes from uh, Facebook, actually, because a lot of stuff is public on Facebook, and many people don't know how to secure their Facebook. Uh, And so thieves or these scammers will go through Facebook looking for public posts about somebody wishing someone well on their travels to Europe, and then get their contact information and then give them a call. Because again, you use their real names on Facebook because Facebook wants you to use your real name. So it's very easy to look up someone's landline from there, pretend you're the granddaughter in trouble and cry. And of course, grandparents are going to help. You know, it's funny. uh, uh, I was on a vacation recently and, you know, there's some that want to post their pictures on Facebook. There's some that say, I don't want to post my pictures on Facebook now because then people will know that I'm away and they'll rob my house. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny how we think of this when it comes to theft or robbery, but we don't think of this, you know, or information being used for a scam. And a lot of people post everything public on Facebook, and they don't mean to do it. Um, really, you know, check your privacy settings. It's there. But then you also have to consider if any of your friends' Facebook accounts get hacked, then they have access to all of your stuff, even if it is private or friends only. So that is something to consider as well as, you know, how good are your friends at computing? (laughs) Are they going to get their Facebook accounts hacked? And then they'll be able to find all sorts Mm. of private information about you. Uh, Why can't this be tracked? Why can't these things be traced? A lot of times it's uh, what are called burner phones or fake uh, phone numbers that you have very briefly. You can always buy phone numbers in bulk. And so that 844 uh, phone number that you got a phone call from, that's a really basic toll-free number. There's also 855. And those are ones you can get extremely cheaply, something like $3 a number. um, And you can redirect the call anywhere. 
So once you register the phone number, you can have it call someplace in India, for example. And, uh, and then you can just shut off the number once people are onto it, register a new one, and move on. Uh, does anyone get caught? I remember hearing after we did this thing on on this a year or so ago that uh, and talking to some authorities that uh, that there were investigations and some were getting caught, but it's like the tip of the iceberg and you certainly can't get them all. Yeah, and it really has the it has to be the cooperation of the foreign government too. The people who are calling to do these scams are not in Canada; they're overseas. They're usually in India, um, Bangladesh, Russia, for example. Lots of stuff out of. Um, former Russian country. So there's really part, a lot of scams coming out of that area. And they're not, you can't prosecute them. It's the same thing with the Canadian anti-spam law. Most spam doesn't originate in Canada. So that law isn't really getting at the real spammers. And so, of course, the authorities here can say, okay, well, I'm sorry, but that person was in Russia, so I can't do anything about it. And meanwhile, that person in Russia can continue to call people again and again. And there's not much you can do about it. I was surprised because when I called this number back live on the air and actually ended up talking with someone who was trying to separate me from my money, we called it for a couple of days and it was still up and running uh, for Mm -hmm. a couple of days before, I guess, they finally figured out we should shut this one down and move on. Are you surprised at that? Or is it it they're they're so elusive they just don't care? Well, it's more... What what has to happen is you have to report the phone number to say scams are originating from this phone number. And then someone, whoever the uh, provider is for that phone number, has to shut it off. And so that can take a few days for that to happen. Um, But in the meantime, it's a game of whack-a-mole. You shut off one phone number, they call back from a second number and start a new scam all over again or just keep going through their list of people to call. So really what needs to happen is better enforcement in other countries to stop these kinds of scams. Will we ever see that? I mean, is there a, what, what's the advantage to the other country to do this? Well, I think it's a reputation thing. Or you could do things like, if you wanted to get really serious, you could say economic sanctions, like, you know, we'll do this because you're not controlling uh, people calling the scammer citizens. But, I mean, the reason why these scams exist is because people keep giving them money. So this is why education is so important. If they didn't make money from this, they wouldn't do it anymore. So it's really important for everybody to understand how these scams work and protect themselves and not fall for them. All right. So uh, your loved one's in trouble. What, What else is out there that happens a lot? Oh, there's also some uh, where you're using your computer and then you get a big pop-up message saying your computer has a virus. Microsoft is here to help you. Give us a call at this number. Microsoft does not care. Uh, They also don't know that your computer has a virus and aren't showing you a big pop-up message. And this is particularly bad if you are using Windows because Windows is known for having more viruses. Modern versions of Windows, I mean Windows 10, which is the most current version out there, have built-in virus protection. So you can just ignore those pop-ups entirely or start using an ad blocker and then you won't see them at all. Um, And if somebody calls and says there's a virus on your computer... They, they don't know. That's not how the Internet works. So, again, just hang up on them. Just ignore them. I'm surprised how many times I get that call. Like, it, it happens a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah, especially with your landline, I bet. I mean, you probably never get a call on your cell phone. Um, no. But the, you know what? They are starting to pick up a bit. It's not, not so much as scams, but certainly telemarketing. I'm getting more and more of that on my cell phone than I ever used to. Um, yeah, me too. But, yeah, so... Um, uh, you know, when you talk about things like you, your computer is broken, um, again, I can think of maybe three or two or three times getting getting that call. Unfortunately, my wife has fallen for this once, and they literally did take over our computer screen, and you know, to which shut it off, and then you have to end up taking it in and and getting mm-hmm. it fixed and such. Um, because these seem to be the same thing happening over and over and over again. Your loved one uh, is in need of money. Uh, there's a virus on, on your commu- computer or like the one I got. You owe the government. You owe tax. You owe, like these seem to be the same things over and over and over again. Why do we not get the message even in this advanced technological society we're in? I mean, how do we fall for this stuff? I think it's the element of panic and someone sounding authoritative on the phone. You know, nobody wants to have CRA call them and say, you owe money. (laughs) Nobody wants their computer to be infected, and everyone wants to help out their loved one that's stranded in a jail somewhere in Europe. So I think a lot of this is the idea of creating the sense of panic and concern. And then you're not, when you have the 
fight or flight instinct kick in. You no longer make logical decisions. You're being fueled by adrenaline. And so, of course, you're doing the thing that you think is going to make the problem go away immediately. So you say, oh, yes, of course, I'll hop on my computer and give you my credit card and let you take over my computer. Or, of course, I'm going to wire $30,000 to Bulgaria to bail you out of jail, you know. And so that, and, and particularly the CRA scam, I mean, even people, they would say, you have to pay us in Apple gift cards. And people would go to the store got, and buy out uh, yes. gift cards. Honestly, CRA I... does not accept payment and gift cards. You know, Dana, I had I had listeners call me that had been victimized this way, and they they sounded so upset. And the, the, mm-hmm. this one woman actually went out and bought the gift cards. Yeah, and, and they have a sign now at a lot of gift card kiosks saying, where they will, "Please yeah. don't buy these for the CRA. It's not. It's a scam." What does that say when even the people selling them are uh, seem to be more aware of it than the consumers are? Um, you know, I, and I can think I got one just this past week. Last week, uh, I've got a, a relative somewhere that's left me money. I have. Oh, a, yeah, I, I get, get the email. The yeah, I've got a relative somewhere mm-hmm. that's left me money, and if I want to find out, I how do they? How do these ones rope us in? Well, a lot of it is just looking for common last names and saying, you know, Thompson's a pretty common last name. So maybe you have a relative that you're unaware of. I don't get as many of those because DiTomaso is not quite as common, but it certainly does happen. And actually, one time I did get a real legitimate request where someone was looking for my cousin uh, from a lawyer who he had actually been left money. And in that case, it's, you know, Google the name of the company who's getting in touch with you. Do they have a real website? You know, that's the first step. Are they a real law firm? Uh, and then call them back on the number as well. So this is the thing is that if any company is calling you, let's say it's Royal Bank and they say your credit card's been compromised, you have to give us your login information so we can fix it for you, which scam, but let's play along. And then you say, okay, you know what, I'm going to call you back on the main line so I can verify that you are actually Royal Bank. If they get mad at you at that point, it's a scam. Hang up. Any legitimate company who calls you because of a security warning or a fraud warning or anything else will not be upset if you call them back on the main number on the CRA website or your bank's website. Um, and so don't fall for those at all. And actually, speaking of banking, one new one that's coming out recently are texts that people receive saying they're from a bank and you have to send them your bank card number. Do not text your bank. Your bank does not text people. And it's uh, not, you know. Any other tips for us to be aware of <laughs> off the top of your head? Any other tips we should be cautious of? Oh, well, this is for kids, you know, kids of adult children of parents. Talk to your parents about these scams because often who's falling for these scams are older people who don't know how the Internet works mm. or aren't as sophisticated and sussing out people who, you know, aren't going to be nice to you. So definitely talk to your parents often, not just at the holidays, about these scams that are going around and make sure they're telling you before they do any large fund transfers. Um, the, the reason why these thieves succeed is they say things that have to happen immediately. So talk to your parents and make sure that they call you first before they do any of this, or at least wait until they get a hold of you if they can't get a hold of you right away. Dan, uh, Dana DiTomaso has been with us, president of KickPoint, an Edmonton-based digital marketing agency, originally from the Hammer, though. Uh, Dana, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thank you. Have a good day. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.